Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Tryon. I'm Jeff Harris. I'm the pastor here at First Baptist, and I'm grateful for you joining us today. I must say, podcast might be a bit of a stretch because really this is our weekly sermon, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen to this week's sermon. I will give one word of warning, though, especially to those of you who are driving. Sermons um, from time to time tend to put people to sleep, so if you're driving, be real careful. We don't want you to fall asleep, because we'd love to have you tune in next week. (laughs) I hope you enjoy this week's sermon, although enjoy is really not the intended outcome of a sermon, but I am grateful that you took the time to listen, and I hope you have a great week. I'll catch you next week. The peace of Christ be with you. We welcome you to First Baptist Church of Tryon. We are grateful that you are here with us in whatever capacity, whether that's in person or on Zoom or on YouTube Live. It is good to be able to be with each other. If you are a guest on either of these platforms, we are especially grateful to have you. What a gift we have been given, this thing called life. And what a gift this day is. The beauty of this day, the coolness of the air, the opportunity to worship the one who has given us this day. What a gift that is. Let's don't waste that gift. May we join our hearts and our minds together as we worship the one who gives us everything. Even though many things in life hurt and disappoint us, God is with us. We seek God's mercy and grace to heal our wounded souls. Come, bring yourself to God, for God will hear your cries and restore your souls. Praise be to God.
Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, then you're also with us. Lord, we welcome you among us today and celebrate the gift of life that you have given each of us. We ask that you would open our ears so we may hear your voice, open our minds so we may receive your eternal wisdom, open our spirits so we may know your guidance and open our hearts so that we may receive your wonderful love. We ask this all in your holy name. Amen. Our responsive reading this morning 
is from Job 38, 1 through 18. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is Gird up your loins like a man, and I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the wood? When I made the clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed bounds for it, and set bars at doors. And said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place? So that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it. It is changed like clay under the seal, and it is dyed like a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Hear these words from Job 42, verses 1 through 9. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, and I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has done. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We had some unexpected sickness in our group, 
And we'd already had some people traveling today, so we will not use the choir today, but I will sing a spiritual for you, which I think is very meaningful. You know, we're not promised in life not to ever have troubles. We are promised to have someone who will walk with us through those troubles. That is Jesus. I'm going to sing the old spiritual entitled, I Want Jesus to Walk With Me. I want Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me. All along my pilgrim journey, Lord, I want Jesus to walk with me. In my trials, Lord, walk with me. In my trials, Lord, walk with me. When my heart is almost broken, Lord, I want Jesus to walk with me. In I'm Reading from Job 42, 10 through 17. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. 
the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Kareen Hepachit. In all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughter, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children four generations, and Job died old and full of days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grizzly bears are fascinating, frightening creatures. I am, for some reason, really drawn to grizzly bears. If I had to select my favorite wild animal or my favorite animal, it would be a grizzly. I have spent a fair amount of time hiking and fishing in grizzly country, and there is a really heightened sense of awareness when you are in their backyard. You know that you are in a wild place. And the first, the first time I was ever fishing in grizzly country, I think I spent more time looking over my shoulder than I did looking at my fly drift down the, the river. I mean, you're just sort of on edge the whole time. And even, even when you have bear spray and a firearm, you know that you are not the top of the food chain. And and in all the grizzly encounters I've read about, like the one thing that seems to be common is that most of the time you do not have time to deploy either one of those options you may have. You cannot get your bear spray in time to spray it because when those encounters happen, both people are usually surprised and that's why they happen. If you see a grizzly bear some yards away, typically things will go fairly well. He will see you and he will go that way and you will go this way. It's when surprises happen that those things can go wrong. There was a friend of mine who was recently fishing the same waters that I had just fished this past August. In fact, I was, as I was driving home from Wyoming, he was driving to Wyoming, so we just missed each other by, by a couple of days. And he texted me after, I think it was his second day of fishing, and he said, he said, I saw a sow and a cub come out of the woods and cross in front of me about 50 yards ahead of me. 
And he said, I had to stop fishing and go change clothes. <laughs> and then he texted me like three or four days later. And, and he had been fishing this one little small stream that's really woody and brushy, which is really not where you want to be in grizzly country. It's, fun to, it's, it's, it's better to be in a situation where you can see. But he was fishing this really small, brushy creek, and he scared a grizzly. And fortunately, it went that way, and he went this way. And that's what almost always happens, almost always. Now, this same friend of mine, his name's Dwight. Dwight was, was fishing in this same area in 2019, and he was on his four-wheeler with a friend of his, and they were on a forest service road. And they came around to bend, and, and in the meadow, they saw a sow with three cubs. She was about 50 yards off the road, and so they naturally stopped their, their four-wheelers. And, and, you know, that's quite a sight. You want to take that in. And he said, pretty quickly, the sow stood up and snorted and yelled a bit. And they, their four-wheelers were still running. And he said, you could not believe that when she came down on all fours, she and all the cubs charged them. And he said, fortunately, the forerunners were still on. And he hit the gas and took off. And he said, for about a quarter mile, that sow was not far behind him. And um, I think he had to change clothes again. <laughs> Frightening kind of encounter. And yet, at the same time, really kind of magical. To, to see such a thing. In, in fact, my, my buddy, uh, my buddy Barrett, who I often fish with, who I was fishing with this year, when I texted him about Dwight seeing these bears, he texted me back. He said, well, why does Dwight always get to see the bears and we don't? And I, I, I didn't feel weird saying that out loud, to be quite honest with you, because I really do want to see a grizzly kind of close, and I really don't. You know, you sort of want to, and you actually pray that you don't. Uh, this, this year when we were fishing, we were one, it was on a Friday, we were trying to hike a couple of hours upstream before we started fishing, and so we were on a hiking trail to make good time, and sure enough, there were just these huge grizzly tracks on that trail. Now, fortunately, those tracks were going this way, and we were going that way. But it, it's just it's kind of humbling when you, when you see evidence of these kind of creatures and when you know what kind of power they have and what kind of majesty they have. And, and they can be really, really huge, and yet they're so fast. And so I really want to see one of those grizzlies up close, and I don't want to see one of those grizzlies up close. Which is not too different, I think, from how we feel about God. We really do want to encounter God in clear, unmistakable ways, and yet at the same time, we are afraid to have that kind of encounter with God. This is especially true, I think, in prayer. 
This is often why I think anyway that most of our prayer time is spent with us talking instead of us listening. Now, for one thing, it takes discipline to do that kind of listening prayer, that kind of contemplative praying when one sits in silence. But it's more than discipline, I think. I think there's a little bit of tension there about the silence. What if we pray and we pray and we sit and we listen and listen and what if we don't hear? What if we don't hear anything? There is fear of silence and there is fear of absence. And yet, what might be more frightening is what if we do hear? What if we do really hear? What if we hear and maybe we don't like what the hearing requires of us? Or some, I think some folks are afraid to hear because even though we know better than this, I think we still sometimes suffer from this. Sometimes we're afraid to hear because we, we think that maybe God is out to get us. We sort of, even though we know better than that, we, we sort of sometimes live with that kind of looking over our shoulder as if God is out to get us. I don't, I don't know if you ever read Calvin and Hobbes, but there's one where Hobbes says to Calvin, he says, do you think there's a God? And Calvin says, well, somebody's out to get me. And we sort of live that way sometimes, looking over our shoulder. And yet God is not out to get you or me, and we know that. And you should not read Job and come away thinking that God is out to get us. That's the, if you take that away from Job, you've, you've read it wrong. God doesn't send calamities to test us to see why we worship God. That's not the lesson to learn from Job. And if, if that is the lesson you think, if you, if you happen to read Job and think, well, that's it, well, just remember this, the only reason... The only reason that God does send the accuser to Job is because Job is blameless. That's not any of you or me. We're good. We're not blameless. A friend of mine likes to say it this way. He says, do you know how I know that God is merciful? And I'll say, well, how? And he'll say, because you're still here, aren't you? And isn't that true? I mean, if God was really out to get us, if God was really waiting for us to mess up so God could get us, God would have already gotten us. But, but, I, but I do think there is, sometimes we kind of suffer from that kind of image of God, that we think that God is this angry grizzly bear just waiting to devour us. And then, then there's the flip side of this. Sometimes we suffer from this other image of God, not as a grizzly bear, but as this cute, cuddly teddy bear. 
that God is just some teddy bear. Now, I want to be clear. I, 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 I am deeply saddened for people who have actually been harmed by this angry God kind of theology, and there are people who have been harmed by that. And I am truly sorry for that. And that's a whole other sermon, to be quite honest with you. But I'm also saddened by people who are harmed by the idea that God is some cute, cuddly teddy bear. Because I think that kind of theology is also harmful. T teddy bears are purely for your enjoyment. You can play with them, you can toss them around, you can do whatever you want with them, you know. They're great when you're a kid. Teddy bears are for kids, not adults. Teddy bears are not alive, right? And in this sense, you could say they're not real. They're not real because they don't require anything of you. You don't have to feed them. You don't have to give them water. You don't have to take them on a walk. They simply exist for your own enjoyment. And for four chapters, for four chapters here in Job, God makes it quite clear that he is not a teddy bear. Not a teddy bear. He speaks out of this whirlwind. Because God is the creator. He's created all this stuff. Everything that's ever existed, God created it. Not only creates it, but sustains it. It's really the isness behind all of this. And the one who redeems all of this. And so when this God speaks, it'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And that's what God does here for four chapters to Job. He roars and gets Job's attention. And I should say real clearly, it is not a relationship of equals. Job and God are not equals. God is the creator, Job is the created. We think about God as a teddy bear, it's just the other way around, right? We're really the creator. God is most definitely not a teddy bear, and to be honest with you, I think a better image is the grizzly bear. Not a grizzly who's looking to eat you, because grizzlies aren't really looking to eat you. They're mainly vegetarians, really. They're not out to eat you. But you see, God is alive, and God is not tame. God is not tame. In C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's the lion, Aslan. And if you know the story, you know that Aslan is the Christ figure. And one of the characters, Susan, when she's about to meet Aslan, and she didn't realize he was a lion, she says, oh, is, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. 
And Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I'll tell you. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good. God roars at Job. And we should never forget that God is the Almighty, that God is mighty. He's not some grizzly out to get us. He's not some teddy bear made for our enjoyment. But God is mighty. And God is not tame. And we do not control God. We should not forget that. And we should not forget, we should not forget that God vindicates Job. I know that's last week's sermon, but we cannot forget that. God vindicates Job. He says Job is right and his friends are wrong. This simplistic formula that his friends have, that God blesses those who do good and curses those who do bad, it's just too simplistic. It's just too simplistic. The world is more complicated than that. God is more complicated than that. And don't forget, this grizzly of a God vindicates Job. He says, Job, you're right. That's not how the world really works. And then, if you're really reading the text, and if you're really listening to the text, you to that part that Dan read to us, that very last text we read, you're probably reading through, and then all of a sudden you get this restoration of Job. And you're thinking, well, what is that all about? Which is a great question, by the way. What is that all about? That's, that's kind of, I kind of wish it would have ended before that, to be quite honest with you. But, but that should really reinforce that, in, that we should read Job as a parable. We should read Job as a parable. You, you can't just get new children and all that be solved, right? What Job went through. I mean, his new fortune's being restored. That's great. It's twice what he had. But you can't just get a new family. It doesn't quite really work that way. But here's what you should know, at least I think, and I think most commentators agree with this. Job isn't restored because he repents. Sometimes we read through the text and we, have, we, we hear that Job is vindicated, but then on the other hand, Job does say, I, you know, you're right, God. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be God, and I'm not God, and I wasn't here when you created the earth and all those kinds of things. So don't read that, though, as all of a sudden Job repents and then he gets all this other stuff because that just kind of reinforces the theology that Job is ultimately railing against. That sort of reinforces the do good get blessings, do bad get cursed. Some scholars say, and I think, I think there may be some truth to this because there is some nuance in the language 
that would suggest this. Some say that ultimately Job is really a parable about the restoration of Israel after the exile. That that's part of what Job is about. That this being restored at the end is certainly about being freed from the exile. Uh, and and that, that may or may not be true, I don't know. I think it makes a lot of good sense. But that's a whole other sermon probably to explore that part of Job really complicated which is really Job the whole thing is complicated actually and while it does offer some I think pretty straightforward insights to us Job also leaves us with a lot of questions I wouldn't dare claim to have answered all of those questions I haven't even really entertained all those questions there's so much there to be mined but I like the way that Wendell Berry said it. Wendell Berry said, we cannot comprehend what comprehends us. We cannot comprehend the one who comprehends us. The created cannot fully comprehend the creator. we get a really good look at the Creator in flesh and blood, Jesus. And so it's not that we don't know anything about God. Of course we know lots about God. If you want to know who God is, take a look at Jesus. But there is still much that we don't comprehend. There is much that we don't fully understand. May that lack of comprehending, may that be an occasion for worship, for celebration. May it remind us of where we fall in the order of things, that there is one who is greater than us. And may we offer ourselves to this one who is greater. This one we know as God, Yahweh. Amen.
We had a wonderful Grace It Forward day yesterday. I want to thank all of you who participated in that. We had 60 folks who signed up to participate, and I think we actually had more than that who actually participated. It was wonderful, a wonderful response. So thanks to all of you who, who gave of your time yesterday. Thanks to Lane and Mary and to Tommy and Margaret for organizing our Grace It Forward and for leading that. There, there were a lot of seeds that are planted in that event. You know, things that may not seem like a big deal, but things I think that can take root. That can take root and, and develop and grow. And it is through those kinds of engagements with our community, with people in the community, that, that we share God's love with them. And I'm just grateful for how well that went. And you'll see some pictures of that and hear a little bit more about that in, in worship uh, next Sunday. But thank you. So as we begin this time of prayer, let's begin with a time of silent prayer. And, and if you would, just give thanks for that day and, and pray that those that we interacted with uh, yesterday, that they will know God's love. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for opportunities like yesterday where we can in really intentional ways share your grace and your mercy with those around us. We're grateful for all those people that we interacted with yesterday, oh Lord. And we were grateful that we could encounter you through them. For there is nowhere we can go that you aren't already there. You are always ahead of us. And behind us. And around us. Always with us. In ways that we can't comprehend. Through people in ways that we can't comprehend through the beauty of creation in ways that we can't comprehend and the truth is O oh lord if we could fully comprehend you then you would not be god may we always be humbled by your majesty May we be humbled by your love and your mercy. May we be humbled by this one known as Jesus. This one who has shown us how to live, how to love, 
this one who has even shown us how to die. Help us, O oh Lord, to trust you always. Because you are indeed good. You are good and you are faithful. May your goodness and your healing and your hope and your peace be with all of us and especially the ones that we name aloud. I invite you here in the sanctuary to offer the names of those who need God's healing and hope. Kay Douglas. For those of you on Zoom, if you have names to offer, if you'll please unmute yourself and offer those names. Matt Washburn. And now let us join all of our voices, those here in the sanctuary and those online. Let us join together as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Response this morning is hymn 482. May we...
It has been good to worship with you on this beautiful Lord's Day. It is good to be family together. It is good to be church together. I'm very grateful for your faithfulness, for your generosity. Thank you for sticking with us during these difficult times. I do think we see light on the horizon for which we should be grateful and for which we should celebrate. So, with that said, here's the benediction. May you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And as you go, remember who you are. You are disciples of Jesus, our Lord and our brother, children of Almighty God, bound together as brothers and sisters through the Spirit. You are the very body of Christ. So may you serve the Lord with gladness all your days. Amen. Go in peace.